Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about butter. Yes, butter. <laughs> I like that that word just sent you to a place, Annie. You were just like, it yep. It does. <laughs> I mean, you and I have talked about how much we love the bitch and we were on Movie Crush and we talked about it. But now every time I think oh, of it, I think yeah. of like the utmost just delicious wonderful experience <laughs> and we were talking about uh we made a video with banner butter mm-hmm. a couple years ago which you can still find on youtube and i just i've have a big craving for their delicious delicious butter right now oh yeah i uh I, w- I was thinking earlier in quarantine about ordering some, and and then I just I just didn't I don't know like the whatever panic attack I was having that day moved on <laughs> to some other focus, but um, but but yeah, now I'm like now I I do need I do need some of that butter in my life, uh, a good you cultured do. butter, it yeah. right? Thank you, mm-hmm. yeah. which is an Atlanta uh, butter, by the way, local butter. If yeah. anyone's listening and it's like, what are you talking about, banner butter? It's mm-hmm. oh, delicious, so good. You can find them online. They're still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They ship. They ship. Uh, certainly anywhere in the continental United States. Um, and uh, yeah, really great stuff. Really great people too. 
so so the original episode or episodes, because this was a two-parter originally. Mm-hmm. Um, you better believe it. Um, those those <laughs> episodes came out in August of 2017. Um, and I was thinking about butter. Not that I'm ever like kind of not thinking about butter, but I was thinking about it specifically um, after seeing uh, this article from Food and Wine that was circulating, the headline of which is, Butter is the Balm Getting Us Through Quarantine, Sales Figures Show. Which is a great headline. Thank you, yes. Food and Wine. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so their, their evidence in the article is that, okay, so Land O'Lakes, has reported that they are expecting their total butter sales in 2020 to be up 20% over a normal year. Oh, wow. And that is nut bar considering that restaurant demand has to be down and it's normally like one-fifth of their sales. So... Wow. Wow. I mean, everybody's, you know, making bread, doing baking projects. I'll be honest with you, Lauren. Uh... I have at least three tubs of butter in my refrigerator <laughs> right now. But it's one of those things where I just kind of like, you know, going to the grocery store now is I don't want to forget anything. And so I'll see butter. And I'm like, do I need butter? Let's just get some. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, you, you you can you can never have, I mean, it doesn't really go bad in the fridge, not for a very long time. So, yeah, that's what I do. Like, like whenever I, if I, if I'm going to make a trip out to, um, uh, like the farmer's market or something like that, um, where I know that they carry like the good European cultured butter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yes, so um, so we originally split this into two parts because I was pretty excited about splitting things into two parts back then. Um, also, it was a very long, um, a, a, like 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 outline, like a very long amount of yeah. information that we had. Um, but we're just gonna run them together. So yeah, I hope I hope that's a good experience for y'all. I'm sure it is. And as one of my favorite things, we have to return one day and do margarine. Oh because, heck, we do! Oh yeah, man. that yeah. whole fight between margarine and butter Oof. gets pretty, pretty epic. It it does. Um, when I was looking for for updates to a couple things, I I did I just found even more articles about that. So um, so we should do margarine soon. But um, but in the meanwhile, um, let's let former Annie and Lauren take it away. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we are embarking on a two-part podcast journey into the world of butter. Yes, I think this might actually be the longest outline to date. Which is impressive because champagne was very long. And honey. Honey was... Oh, honey was super long as well. Yeah. But we had a lot to say about butter. As many people do. Yes. It's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. We visited a local butter creamery? Buttery? Buttery in Atlanta called Banner Butter. Uh-huh. And we saw the making of some cultured butter, and it was great. It was so cool. It was so cool. It's the noise of, of, of 380 pounds of butter hitting the sides of a, of a churn is truly something to behold. It, it haunted my dreams. Oh, yeah. It's quite upsetting. Yes. And um, there will be a video. Yes. It can haunt your dreams, too. And you should let it because it's great. Yeah. Uh, that should be out, actually, this this very day that you're listening to this podcast episode. So, yeah, look around. Try to find that. Yeah. You're good internet people. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and I'd like to say right at the beginning, we and a lot of sources we looked at used the fantastic book Butter, A Rich History by Elaine Kosrova in researching this episode. So check that out if you're interested. So let's start right as we always do. What is butter? Butter uh, is a concentration of the fatty and fat-soluble parts of milk. Mm. Which makes it sound so tasty, right? When you <laughs> fatty say it like globules, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in its solid form, butter is actually a crystallization of those fats. Forget gemstones. I would like to posit butter as the most beautiful crystals ever. I've never thought about butter as crystal. But well, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a microstructure kind of thing. I'll get into that later. Awesome. Uh, but, okay, so in explaining what butter is, let's start with milk. Okay. Uh, milk is mostly water, but about 5 to 12% of it is these little balloons or, or globules of fat suspended throughout that water in an emulsion. <gasps> an emulsion? An emulsion. Um, <laughs> there are also water-soluble and fat-soluble things that are mixed in, of course, uh, proteins and sugars and minerals. But today we are mostly concerned with the fat. Now, cream is a greater concentration of those fat globules suspended in water, about 15 to 25%. And butter has had almost all of that water taken out. It's about 80 to 90% fats. Side note here regarding all the wiggle room and all of those percentages, milk, of course, is made in the mammary glands of mammals. And therefore, its composition varies based on what the animal's eating and what kind of hormonal state it's in, which in turn is based on its age and the ambient temperature that it's hanging out in uh, and its birth cycle and its stress level, lots of things. So, your base milk and cream can vary, and on top of that, the process that you use to make butter can vary. Noted. Thank you. But okay, so back to butter's physical composition. Butter physics! Yay! Yeah. Uh, just filtering the water out of cream is not going to get you butter. You got to agitate it. Now, you're not sending the cream like links to gross stuff on Reddit. You are, you are physically shaking it. Um, and, and this is necessary because in order to get the fats in cream to, to clump up together, you've got to invert cream's emulsion. And if that sounds scary, I guess it is for the cream. It does sound a little frightening. It's going to be okay. Okay. All right. So cream, cream is an emulsion, mm -hmm. uh, which is an even mixture of fats and water which do not usually like to mix, because cream also contains these, these protein chains called casins that are made up of both hydrophilic, or water-loving, and lipophilic, or fat-loving, particles. Okay? Uh, when, when presented with both fats and water, casins grab up bits of fat and cluster into globules called micelles, with the fat on the inside and the water-loving bits on the outside. We've talked about this before. I was about to say this sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. Um, and now the, these water-loving particles grab onto electrons in the water, meaning that each micelle winds up having a negative charge. And since negatively charged particles repel each other, the globules spend themselves throughout the water in order to keep their distance. Emulsion. Now, one of the places you may remember this from is our yogurt episode. When you make yogurt, you're introducing an acid into the emulsion, which changes the charge of the micelles and allows them to clump together. But when you make butter, you agitate the emulsion so that the micelles slam into each other, physically breaking up the bonds that are holding them together. And the fats that used to be cuddled safe inside are starting to freak out. Mm -hmm. That water is everywhere! My God. They start thrashing out for safety, and first they'll cling to air bubbles that are getting into the mixture. And that's whipped cream. 
But if you keep shaking the mixture, breaking apart more micelles, eventually you expose enough fats that they can all clump together and push the water out. Be gone, foul beast! (laughs) And this is called inverting the emulsion. I spent a lot of time trying to understand this to make an animation for the butter video. <laughs> that's that's it. It's just it's just fats, you know, waiting until they have enough. Uh, uh, I don't know what proletariat, <laughs> like 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 enough yeah. enough fellow voters to to just kind of like Clump say together yeah, to say screw you. We're gonna be get here of, in this get, globule. Yeah, get out of here, water. Yeah. We don't need you. Mm-hmm. So so what you're so what you're left with here is a uh, clumps of butter fat that are surrounded by buttermilk, aka all that water and water soluble milk stuff. Uh, you then work or knead the clumps together to press out more liquid, and then you have butter. Voila, voila, sort of. I mean, that's a that's sort of a long way to go to voila. That's more like a yeah. That's true. It's more like. <laughs> Well, there you go. (laughs) Step by step. Here's the process. There. Um, Okay. And remember how I said that butter is crystallized? I do. Uh Uh-huh. All right. The the physics of this part are even crazier. But but okay, basically, the, the wee particles of fats that start up, wrapped up all cozy inside their micelles, can be either liquid or crystalline in structure, depending on their temperature. And th- there's a wide range of freezing transformation points for fats, but but essentially butter fats start crystallizing around 50 degrees Fahrenheit, a.k.a. 10 degrees Celsius. So in cream that's been cooled before the churning process, you've, you've got a mix of both liquid and crystal fat particles. And those microstructures interact with each other, especially as the butter is churned and worked, that the liquids stick to the crystals. And to get the consistency of your final butter just right, you know, like uh, neither neither melty and greasy nor stiff and flaky, you want to get your mix of liquid and crystal fats just right. And the exact way that you cool the cream is important, and the way you cool the butter after the churning is important. And there's been just a bunch of super in-depth physics research into exactly how these butter microstructures work, which is so great. Pretty fantastic, and largely beyond me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that. Basically, covers the the structure of butter, except except for the flavor. Okay, traditionally, butter was a fermented product because lactic acid bacteria existed, and refrigeration really didn't. Mm-hmm. So yes, lactic acid bacteria, similar to the ones responsible for yogurt and cheeses and beer and sourdough, would similarly act on cream, either before it was churned or during the churning, meaning that the final product was cultured butter, which means that I get to talk about bacteria poop again. Lucky day for Lauren. Uh, Okay, so these bacteria eat milk sugars and excrete acids, which work to both break up the globules in the cream and to flavor the butter. Most of what we consider butter flavor comes from these bacteria and specifically their poop. Thank you, bacteria poop. Thank you. And you can still buy cultured butter. Uh, These days, it's usually made from pasteurized cream and cultured by having some friendly bacteria added to the cream on purpose rather than having let the cream sit out to collect wild bacteria. However, a lot of the butter that's sold in the United States is sweet cream butter, uh, with or without salt added. And this is a type of butter that's made from pasteurized cream that has not gone through a culturing process. 
Uh, some is sold as is, just like straight up the butter, but some is flavored as part of the manufacturing process to better match what consumers expect from butter. Yeah. The day that I learned this, I felt like I had been lied to my entire life. It was very sad <laughs> to think of butter that has butter flavoring in it. It's just... It's just depressing. It is. Oh, this is also reminding me of that line from The Witch, The Taste of Butter. Yeah? Did you see that? Oh, line? yeah. Well, anyway, another thing that might weird you out, uh, butter can also be colored during manufacturing. Yep. Because the yellow of butter comes from grass and cow's diets and the beta carotene that grass contains, which is released during the churning process, which is why uh, butter is yellowish and... Uh, uh, Not as yellowish. Milk is white. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when cows are when cows are given less fresh grass, their butter will be whiter. So for consistency, some brands do color their butter. And speaking of lies that our grocery stores tell us, oh man, this one blew my mind. <laughs> okay, so although any liquid that comes off of butter during the butter making process is technically butter milk, the term refers specifically to soured, aka cultured, butter liquids. And because most United States butter is not cultured, generally the buttermilk sold in the United States is not a byproduct of the buttermaking process. It's just plain old milk that's been soured by adding lactic acid and maybe has thickener thrown in there to change the consistency. So it's like not even buttermilk really? Nope. Not at all. It's just called it. Yeah. And and you can't call right real buttermilk Buttermilk, they call it whey? What do they call it? Oh, it, but, butter whey. Yeah, butter if, you, whey. if you don't have um, a very specific FDA-approved process in, in place for, uh, for, for testing the, the temperature and all kinds of other statistics about your, about your product, you can't call something milk in the United States. Oh, man. So, some, so some, uh, some small butteries will sell butter whey, and I recommend picking that up and making mashed potatoes out of it because it's the best. I made buttermilk biscuits with mine and I actually filmed it and it went horribly wrong and I may or may not post the video. It was so funny. I think the temperature, the humidity, something uh. went wrong. It, it was so sticky and I couldn't do anything about it. It was great. Annie's making this gesture like she's pulling strands of pasta like <laughs> like this oh okay I, essentially. Now I'm really curious. Oh, I, I mean, I'm thinking about it. I'm pondering it. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I don't want to open you up to, to you know, internet humiliation. Yeah, well, thank you. You're a good friend. Yay! I try. <laughs> okay, so, so that's basically the, uh, the science of what butter is. But obviously, you don't need to know all of this in order to enjoy it. And people have been enjoying it for thousands upon thousands of years. Yes. And we'll get to the story of that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. 
Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No Me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. 
So butter, like a lot of our favorite foods, was probably an accidental discovery. Mm-hmm. Historians think sometime around 8,000 BCE in Central Asia, a herdsman went to take a <laughs> swig of milk he had stored in his sheepskin bag, his trusty sheepskin bag, only to realize that thanks to all that sloshing or churning around during travel, coupled with the bacteria in the sheepskin vessel, it had curdled into butter, albeit probably very different from what we have today. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also the theory behind the creation of our old pal yogurt and our future BFF, cheese. Oh, cheese episode soon. Can't wait. Yeah. In fact, one alternate theory suggests that whey drained from the curds during the cheese making could have gotten agitated and resulted in the first butter. Hmm. It could have been related. Their discoveries could have been related. Sure. Uh, It might have also had to do with temperature. Uh, Maybe in warmer climates, the, the shaken milk became yogurt or cheese, and in colder climates, it became butter. That's true, yeah. However it happened, it most likely happened shortly after the domestication of yaks, goats, and sheep. So no butter made with cow's milk in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. And word of this tasty discovery slowly spread throughout Asia and Africa. In ancient India, folks also realized that butter, once simmered, left behind an oil that could be stored for months at room temperature, which was such an amazing thing before refrigeration. Oh, sure. Right. Terrific boon. Yes. And today we call this ghee. And it was one of the two main early ways of butter preservation that would emerge, the other being the European method, much later, of using salt. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and the buttermilk wasn't wasted either, enjoyed as a drink, or used as the basis in cheesemaking. Ah. Mm-hmm. Italy and Greece weren't fans of butter, though. They much preferred the plentiful and local olive oil. Our good buddy Pliny called butter a food for barbarians. Ooh, harsh words. They weren't above using it as a curative, though, uh, typically as a balm for wounds or for cosmetic purposes, like making hair shiny or smoothing skin. Ah. Mm-hmm. And they weren't alone in using it medicinally or otherwise. Ancient Egyptians used it if you had something going on with your eyes. Okay. Yeah. And in India, butter was used on the skin to ward off the cold and for burning in lamps. That would be a scent. That would be a scented lamp. Mm, A nice scent. Yeah. The word butter is thought to be derived from the Greek boutiron, or roughly cow cheese. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they possibly borrowed this from their cattle herding neighbors to the north, the Scythians, because uh, there weren't cows in Greece at the time. So... I don't know. It would have been strange for them to come up with that Call something cow cheese when they didn't have cows? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) The earliest recorded mention of making butter on purpose comes to us courtesy of a 4,500-year-old Sumerian limestone tablet. Oh, my goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. It's believed the first butter makers hung and jostled the milk-filled animal skin from a horizontally suspended log. Okay. Yeah, and some cultures still make it this way. Huh. But by 2500 BCE Sumeria, milk was placed in terracotta jugs and churned with a plunger-like tool. And we know this because there's a surviving fresco depicting it. Mm -hmm. I love that that someone liked the butter process enough. They were like, I'm going to paint this. Yeah. This is what what I'm doing with my day. I'm going to dedicate some time to this. Mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate it. (laughs) In part due to the magical nature of butter... As in, like, it sort of just happened and they weren't really sure when it was going to happen. Sure. 
Various cultures used it in religious practices. Ah. Yeah. Sumerians offered it to Inanna, the goddess of fertility. In Hinduism, there are myths of how ghee was created in the very beginning of existence as gods and demons churned an ocean of milk. Oh. Yeah. Ghee was used to purify or anoint images of deities and Hindu worshippers would throw ghee at statues of gods for good fortune. You might say butter them up. Oh. Oh, and no, that was not just a terrible pun. What? Possibly where the <laughs> phrase comes from. Oh. No, possibly. Possibly. The, the first written instance of that figurative meaning in English is from 1789. Hmm. Very interesting. A few minutes later. A few minutes, yes. <laughs> The Maasai used it as an ointment during life cycle rituals, believing it to grant fertility and growth. Mm. In parts of Ethiopia, it's still tradition to spread red clay and butter on a future bride for several weeks. Buddhists in Tibet made and still make elaborate butter sculptures called tormas, depicting the gods, and they're really cool looking. Oh. Yeah, I suggest looking them up. Ancient Druids would make butter to pay homage <laughs> to the goddess of fertility, something to do with the phallic shape of the churn and the thrusting motion involved. I'll let you figure that out on your own. Uh-huh. Celtic mother goddess and guardian of cows. Awesome. Bridget had an unending supply of butter to feed people. Celts also believed in something called butter luck. And they took steps to protect their dairy from being jinxed, like peeling some bark off an ash tree before sunrise, mind you. Of course. Oh, my goodness. And wrapping it around the churn and milk pail. Or you could alternatively use a rusty nail from a coffin in your milk pail, and uh, that would do the trick. Mm -hmm. I'm glad there was a method. Oh, there was. Very much so. Butter also pops up a few times in the Bible. The most cited example from Judges 5.25, she brought forth butter in a lordly dish. Abraham also makes a gift of butter along with milk and a butchered calf to three angels who, you know, drop on by. Oh, what a nice gift. Mm -hmm. A lot of you probably heard all the hubbub, possibly, from one of our fellow podcasts about bog butter. Bog butter? Yeah. In Ireland, it isn't uncommon to find large chunks of butter buried in wooden buckets dating back to 400 BCE that is still apparently A-OK to eat. Huh. Hmm, yeah. Huh. Yeah. An Atlas Obscura article that interviewed someone who tried some of that bog butter he made, so it wasn't that old. Um, he, he described the taste as similar to that of Parmesan cheese. Hmm. But he also added that the chemical that gives Parmesan its smell is the same one that's in vomit. Hmm. I did not know that. Not sure I needed to know that, but I do know it now and so do you. There are a couple of theories out there as to why people might have buried butter. Um, maybe to keep some high-calorie food around during the winter months in case food proved to be scarce. Sure. Uh, in some parts of ancient Ireland, Scotland, and Northern Europe, it wasn't uncommon to be buried with barrels of butter because people loved it that much. Oh. Um, or to appease an ancient god or fairies. So one of those things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who can really tell why a man buries his butter? <laughs> it's, a, it's a question for the ages. It's a very personal question, yeah. It is. By 1st century CE... 
Butter was common basically everywhere. Uh, Partially thanks to the movement of the Celts, then the Vikings, then the Normans. Yes. But it wasn't really that popular in China, where dairy generally never took off, or the Mediterranean, where the Romans used butter lovers as an insult. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) In 1253, records kept by Christian missionaries visiting Serbia mentioned kumis, a fermented drink that had lumps of butter in it. And until the Middle Ages, butter in Anglo-Saxon Europe was made with whatever sheep's milk was left over from cheese making. Okay. Cheese was more important than butter. So about two pounds for every 100 pounds of cheese. And that meant that butter was expensive and largely enjoyed by the wealthy. That started to change when milk production and cow's milk butter became more of their own separate entities. Uh, Yeah, butter featured in only 2% of the recipes in this 1380s-ish French recipe collection called Le Viendier, but by the 1540s, it featured in a third of the recipes collected in another French recipe book called, oh, can you do it for me? Vive full excellent. Oh, you say it so much nicer than I do. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> butter was banned during Lent, which was no big deal in olive oil preferring Southern Europe. But it was a real challenge in Northern Europe. And rather than resorting to olive oil or lard, some Northern Europeans would simply pay the Catholic Church to get out of this butter ban. And in Rouen, Normandy, France... That money may have been used to build the famous Butter Tower. This is this giant, gorgeous piece of architecture. Yes. It was much larger than I thought it was going to be when I Google image searched it. It's really impressive. And if this is true, then people were eating a lot of butter in those days. And, And this cultural divide over butter versus olive oil was such a serious thing. There, there are stories about travelers from Southern Europe bringing olive oil with them because they thought that eating butter made one vulnerable to leprosy. Wow. And that religious aspect, the, the butter ban and the money that the church was, was making from it, may have actually helped drive the rise of Protestantism. <laughs> Uh, The book History of Food points out that the northern European countries that turned Protestant had a history of dairy farming. So for them, the expensive import of olive oil for fast days when perfectly good butter was widely available would have been just particularly egregious. Martin Luther was super pissed about it. And in 1520, he wrote – there's a few little sections taken out, but in essence, he wrote – In Rome, they make a mockery fasting while forcing us to eat an oil they themselves would not use to grease their slippers. They then sell us the right to eat foods forbidden on fast days. Eating butter, they say, is a greater sin than to lie, blaspheme, or indulge in impurity. Man. Strong words from Martin Luther. I know. He was not messing around. And to be fair, if someone told me that I couldn't eat butter... Yeah. And then sold me their inferior oil to use in place of it. Yeah. I would be pissed about that, too. I would as well. I believe this is the second time Martin Luther's shown up. Interesting. All right. Well, moving on into the Elizabethan era, 
sailors could expect one-fourth pound of butter a day as part of their rations, and newlyweds would often receive a pot of butter for prosperity and fertility. Marie Antoinette had a pleasure dairy (laughs) where she and her ladies-in-waiting would dress as dairymaids and pretend to make butter. (laughs) Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Um... In 1766, butter played a key role in the first documented U.S. student protest at a little university you might have heard of called Harvard. After a meal served with particularly rancid butter, Asa Dunbar, who would become the grandfather of Henry David Thoreau, jumped onto a chair and cried out, Behold, our butter stinketh. Give us therefore butter that stinketh not. The rest of the student body joined in the protest, and this resulted in the aptly named Butter Rebellion. Over half the student body was suspended, but this was overturned and the butter replaced. The Butter Rebellion. The Butter Rebellion. First documented U.S. student protest. Until the 1600s, butter and other dairy products were made primarily by women, since it had to do with lactation and birth and fertility, you know. Those lady things. Oh, yeah. 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 Thanks to butter's high cost, this could mean social status for the women making it. Sure. Um, But then came the Industrial Revolution. The first creameries started popping up in upstate New York in the 1850s and then 60s in tandem with the invention of the cream separator. Prior to this, dairies were, like, fairly small, and butter producers used separating vats waiting days for the cream to rise to the top. But the cream separator, which uses centrifugal force to spin the cream up, took minutes. So from 1879 to 1921, U.S. butter production increased from 29 million pounds to over 1 billion pounds. Ooh. And it it kind of forced – well, it didn't really force women out, but it wasn't – a women's kind of owned business anymore. Well, sure. Because, are dominated. Yeah. Because yeah, it was hard for women to legally own stuff at that time. Yeah. That had something to do with it. Moving on from that, Congress came up with butter standards and definitions in 1886. In 1887, the Nebraska Dairymen's Association printed a farewell to, quote, sound dairy maid with her, quote, full rounded arms and sweet voice. Hmm. A farewell? Yes. No more dairy made. Oh. Beatrice Creamery Company marketed the first packaged butter in 1898, uh, and the current standards the U.S. uses for butter were enacted in 1923. These regulations grade butter based on flavor, color, saltiness, and texture. And butter sold in the U.S. has to be at least 80% butter fat. FYI. Mm-hmm. So that brings us mostly up to now. And that's also where we're going to stop this episode. So in the next one, we're going to pick up with how it's currently made and uh, the science and health and modern butter issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and today we're going to get into how it's made and some stuff about margarine and other things. But let's Let's dive right into that how it's made part. Like we said at the top of the last show, we did get to visit a, a small creamery, and uh, that that one that one produces batches that, that are quite impressive, um, about three hundred and eighty pounds of butter to a batch. But 
The industrial butter churns that happen are much, much larger than that. But the basic process is still the same. Essentially, cream is separated from milk and pasteurized. Then it's cooled. Then is the time for churning. Churns these days are these huge aluminum drums that are, that are spun on the horizontal axis by motors, like a clothes dryer. Like a clothes dryer that fits thousands of gallons of stuff inside it. So they pipe in thousands of gallons of cream and start spinning it. And, and there's a porthole usually on one end of the cylinder so that you can keep an eye on it. Within an hour, the fats come together and the liquids separate out. They drain off the buttermilk, because that's what those liquids are, and, and rinse the butter with cold water. Then they start the butterfat spinning again to, to work it further and to mix in salt if the batch is going to be salted. The butter clumps together in a huge mass at this point and is pulled out or spun out of the drum, weighed into batches, and then uh, molded and packaged for industry and consumer use. And these, these batches that they're handling are uh, like 1,500 to 5,000 pounds of butter at a time, which is about uh, 680 kilograms to uh, 2,270 kilograms. Wow. I mean, and like that, that 380 pounds was quite sufficient for breaking my brain. So yeah. I kind of can't, again, I'm like, oh, industry, it's big. It's huge. Yes. In addition to this type of machine, though, there are also more automated machines called continuous flotation churns, which look a little bit like uh, like like Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstopper machine, except instead of candy coming out at the end nozzle, you get a continuous ribbon of butter. Oh man, that sounds crazy to yeah. me. Uh, in a in a very kind of beautiful, disturbing way. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's how it's made mm -hmm. currently. Let's talk about margarine briefly, shall we? We shall. Just briefly. So, in 1869, Emperor Louis Napoleon III held a competition offering a reward to anyone who could come up with a cheaper alternative to butter for the soldiers and the less rich than he. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a social welfare thing to feed the poor or the Navy. Maybe mostly the Navy. Probably mostly the Navy. Yeah. But they tried to paint it in a way. Yeah, it's social welfare. It's lovely. Yeah. French chemist Hippolyte Mejmoriès answered the call with a beef tallow spread he patented as oleomargarine. He took the name from a Greek word that means pearl-like, uh, but nobody seemed to appreciate it very much. Nope. And Mejmoriès sold the patent to a Dutch company called Unilever, which to this day is one of the largest producers of margarine. He never made a profit off of his invention, though, and died poor in 1880. Yeah. I wanted to say here that not all margarine is necessarily made of beef tallow. No. That was, that was his invention, but it can be made with any type of oil that's been transmogrified so that it's solid at room temperature, which most oils, by definition, are not. In these early days, margarine was made of animal fats that had been emulsified with water and skim milk all of which is definitely cheaper than going to all the bother of making butter. Right. Margarine reached the United States in the 1870s. 
it really caught on, especially as a, a few years of bad weather in Europe made it very profitable to export butter. Or margarine that you're just selling as butter. Yeah. So due in part to some bad press from this, the dairy industry stepped in and they lobbied hard against it. So hard. Yeah. Succeeding in getting the federal government to instate the Margarine Act in 1886, which called for licensing fees and restrictive taxes on margarine. Some states didn't allow the sale of margarine at all. <laughs> and by 1902, 32 states passed laws prohibiting margarine's use of yellow dye because they were using it to make it appear more like butter. Ah. Yeah. And New Hampshire, Vermont, and South Dakota required margarine to be dyed a very, very unappetizing pink. Who? Yeah. The Supreme Court overturned these so-called pink laws. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they were called. But the yellow margarine ban stayed in place. Margarine manufacturers later got around this by selling its product with two capsules of yellow dye that you that you manually like like as a consumer would mix it in. Wow. Yeah. America's Dairyland, Wisconsin, was the last to get rid of this law in 1967. Wow. So not that long ago. And speaking of Wisconsin, in 1955, Wisconsin hosted um, a senatorial blindfolded taste test between margarine and butter. Nothing can go wrong here, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. All the senators got it right, except the loudly pro-butter Gordon Roseslip, whose wife had been illegally, illegally replacing his butter with yellow margarine due to her concerns about his heart. <laughs> Man, imagine finding something like that out. I know. I don't think—I'm not sure if I could forgive. That's—yeah, I'm sure they had quite the discussion after this. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Um, this Stuff You Missed in History Class, by the way, has an entire episode about all of this called Butter v. Margarine. And it's pretty excellent, so you should you should check it out if you want more more details about all of that. Yeah. Otherwise, this would be an episode about margarine. We just wanted to give the butter-related margarine facts. Yeah, yeah, just just the little nuggets. <laughs> the pink laws. The margarine nuggets. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, science was advancing, as it tends to do. Mm -hmm. um, chemists found a way to make plant-based oils solid at room temperature. And plant-based oils are, are chemically a little bit different from animal oils and that they're not as excited about doing that thing. They, <laughs> they, they don't want to clump as much as animal oils do. Mm -hmm. um, the process is called hydrogenation because it involves hydrogen. And it really is a great way to cut costs because plant-based oils are even cheaper than animal fats. Plus, you're preserving those oils because uh, liquid oils go rancid relatively quickly, but margarine keeps pretty well. Yeah. Thanks in part to scarcity during World War II and the replacement of animal fats with vegetable oils, margarine passed butter in popularity in the 1950s. And by 1970, Americans consumed an average of 10 pounds of margarine a year. And that probably also has something to do with what we talked about before. That was around the time when sugar was like, fat, bad. <laughs> Stay away from butter. No fat ever. Eat more sugar. Yes. And margarine was perceived as the healthier alternative to butter at the time. 
Mm-hmm. More on that in a moment. Yes, because the pendulum has since swung the other way, with butter consumption surpassing margarine in the United States in 2014. It took until 2014? It did. This ah. is very recent, uh, with an average of 5.6 pounds a year per person. And that's still way lower than the 18 pound per person per year average of the early 1900s, 18 pounds per person. Just think about that for a minute. Of butter? Yeah. Of of butter? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of this has to do with the shifting health concerns because people were so worried about fat, and now people are more worried about fake, like what's in their food. Yeah. Yeah. Why why is this thing man-made? Okay, so speaking of those health concerns, though, Mm -hmm. we're going to get to them right after we take a quick break. For a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Holm sent us a, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. <laughs> yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So... As we discussed at length in our episode on sugar and health, and as we were just alluding to a moment ago, fats like butter are not the dietary demons that we once thought, or rather that we were led to believe by decades of willful propaganda from the sugar industry. Thanks, sugar. But how does butter specifically shape up health-wise? Let me tell you. Please do. The modern consensus dietary-wise, is that plant-based fats are healthier than animal fats. That simple sentence actually contains a whole lot, though, so let's unpack it. In order to do that, we have to go back to some of the research we talked about in our episode about sugar in your health. In the 1950s, one Ansel Keys started working on a thing called the Seven Countries Study, which documented the huge cultural differences in rates of coronary heart disease. Why do people from some regions get more sick and die of heart disease more frequently? Hmm. Hmm. He found that saturated fats were associated with greater risk of heart disease, but that total fat intake was not. And this study formed the—it was really revolutionary. Not entirely the best, but but it, it formed the basis for decades more research into how the fats we eat affect our, well— our health and rats' health and monkeys' health, because a lot of the research is done on a bunch of different animals. Uh, But okay, in that sugar episode, we talk about how some of the research was either faulty to begin with due to researchers like Keys selecting their study populations a little too carefully, um, and or that the research was twisted by the sugar industry to vilify fat. Mm But part of the reason why sugar marketers were able to twist the research was that the scientists weren't really looking into sugar versus fat. They were looking into types of fat versus other types of fat. And that key finding of keys 
if you'll pardon the pun, is that saturated fats are bad and other fats are okay. And that kind of subtlety is unfortunately very easy to twist when you're just trying to sell whatever isn't fat. Right. And also, unfortunately, that the more research that went into fat, the more complicated it got. Surprise! Science gives us answers, but they're not usually simple ones. Come on, science. Oh, I know, right? Get your, get your stuff together. Jeez. <laughs> so over the next few decades, researchers figured out that fats are moved around in our bodies by a few types of stuff called lipoproteins. High-density lipoproteins, called HDLs, you may have heard of them, take fats out of your cells and send them to your liver to get them out of your body. Low-density lipoproteins, called LDLs, put fats into your cells. And everybody needs some LDLs, but having too many floating around was found to be associated with a greater risk of heart disease. Researchers also figured out that the types of fats you eat affects your balance of LDLs and HDLs. Stuff called unsaturated fats tend to lower your LDLs and raise your HDLs. That's great. That's the best. Less of the stuff that you don't want and more of the stuff that you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And unsaturated fats are found in stuff like nuts and seeds and fish. Saturated fats, on the other hand, raise both LDLs and HDLs. And saturated fats is the category that butter is in, along with other mammal products, pork, beef, dairy, and coconuts, strangely. Hmm. And the more research that people do, the more it seems like the raising of both LDLs and HDLs simultaneously is kind of fine. Oh, okay. Eating saturated fats doesn't necessarily increase your risk of heart disease. However, replacing some saturated fats in your diet with unsaturated fats does seem to lower your risk of heart disease. Hmm. Clear as mud? Yeah. Just like all human and health things. Sure. It's but but okay, so so the end the end result is that butter is fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, don't overdo it because remember that it's a really high-calorie food. Yeah. Uh, but hey, what about margarine? Oh, what about it? The fats that margarine primarily contains are neither saturated nor unsaturated. They're this whole third category called trans fats. Remember how I said that margarine is made of oil that's been transmogrified to be solid at room temperature? I do. The process of changing the chemical structure of fats changes the way that our bodies interact with those fats. Uh, So trans fats wind up raising your levels of quote-unquote harmful LDLs and lowering your good HDLs. So that's terrible. Just awful. That's the worst. I don't want that. Uh, you, You really don't. And it's really, it's kind of offensive when you think about it because you've turned relatively healthy, unsaturated, plant-based fats into something that's unhealthy. And research indicates that there's no safe level of trans fat consumption. Even small amounts increase your risk of heart disease. And trans fats also have been shown to contribute to insulin resistance, which increases your risk of diabetes. That's upsetting. So, butter is, well, and margarine, I might not recommend eating. Yeah. It's it's always, it's sad when people are trying to make the healthy choice and it just ends up being unhealthier. But well, again, it's... It's, it's all complicated. It's so complicated, and yeah. there's so much about our bodies that we don't know yet and that we have only started scratching the surface into figuring out. It's, it's, we're, we're complicated in there. Yeah. And then all the bits are small. Yeah, and I think unique in a lot of cases. Yeah, like person to person, it's really hard to, hard to um, 
It's hard to mm-hmm. make a generic statement. Yeah. Yeah. I see you getting sad. Yeah. Even all you out there in podcast land, I can see you too. <gasps> she can. Oh, no. Oh, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not less creepy. I was trying to turn this around to a happy place. A flavor science. Flavor science does sound fun. There are hundreds of flavor compounds at work in butter, but the primary ones are called diacetyl and acetoin. Like we said, a billion years ago at the very first part of this butter extravaganza, um, those, those two compounds are excreted by the lactic acid bacteria that go to work in cultured butters. They, they eat lactose, milk sugar, and excrete alcohol and these flavor compounds. So if you want to produce a butter flavor artificially, you can either culture just a whole crap ton of bacteria or yeast and collect the relative compounds. Um, That's called natural butter flavoring on labels. Or you can synthesize the molecules in a lab, and that's, that's what you see as artificial butter flavoring. Diacetyl isn't just a butter thing, by the way. It's also made during fermentation in some beers, and it's what gives Chardonnays a buttery flavor. Yes. And uh, popcorn, that smell, yes? Yeah, yeah, in in microwave popcorn. Um, And you might have heard about microwave popcorn causing health problems. What? It's it's, it's true that in some factory workers who breathe in like a whole lot of diacetyl, uh, say at a microwave popcorn factory, there is an increased risk of lung disease. But that's not to say that eating microwave popcorn will cause you problems or that it's bad to breathe in the amount that you'd make from popping a bag in your in your microwave occasionally. Okay. You're going to be okay. People who follow me in any kind of social media know that popcorn is one of my favorite things. So <laughs> this is key information you, for me. You got you, you got so worried. I know. The look on my face was just horror It was. I was like, oh, no, I, I tried to make it better, and then I failed. <laughs> That's okay. And before we leave you today, we wanted to go through some, some cooking tips and some just, I don't know, extraneous butter cultural notes that we, that we found in our, in our journeys of the internets. So first, some butter cooking tips. Butter temperature is very important. Yes. Yes. We talked about the importance of cold butter when making a pie crust in the apple pie episode. Yeah. And and the idea here is that you want to coat as many flour particles as possible with fat so that they won't absorb too much other liquid and thus get gluttony. Mm-hmm. But you also want those fat particles to be firm so that they stay chunky right until they melt in the oven. Um, that's because the, the, the water content of the butter will evaporate, creating these lovely stiff air pockets. And the fat content is absorbed by the flour kind of kind of moisturizing it. Um, thus, you get a tender yet flaky crust. Oh, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. When you're creaming together butter and sugar, the butter should ideally be softened at room temperature, not melted. No, because, because creaming is a whipping process that creates a structure out of the butter and the sugar with lots of air pockets throughout. Uh, when you then add egg into the mixture, the, the egg distributes itself into those pockets, which just stabilizes the dough. Yes, and if you do have to melt the butter, it's best to let it cool a bit so it's not hot, especially if there are eggs involved. Yeah, because you don't want to scramble the eggs as soon as you put the butter in. That would be very sad. Yes. You want to pay attention to salted versus unsalted. I've Mm -hmm. made that mistake before. Oh, yeah. Although if you do accidentally buy salted and you meant to buy unsalted, just don't add 
salt right. later on in the recipe. Yes. The milk solids in butter mean it burns more quickly than other fats. It starts to smoke at 350 degrees Fahrenheit, about 177 degrees Celsius. So if you're going to use it in sautéing, it's better to add it towards the end in combination with something else, another oil, um, or else use clarified butter ghee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of of those, those milk solids, mm-hmm. browned butter. So good. Oh, it's so good uh. in cookies and sauces and basically everything. Now, if you've never experienced this minor miracle, all you got to do is melt butter over low to medium heat in a, in a light-colored potter skillet that'll let you keep an eye on it better. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're going to continue cooking it gently until the water in the butter boils off and the milk solids separate out from the fat in these little flecks that are going to turn golden brown. And, and, and yeah, so, you, so you're watching for the golden brown turning of the flecks. You don't want to burn it. Mm-hmm. And it gives butter this amazing, beautiful, rich, nutty flavor. Yeah. And the, the first time I made it, the recipe I was following, it said, you'll know when you smell the, like, caramel ta- <laughs> taste, smell. <laughs> and um, I, I'm one of those people that are, I'm like, I won't. There won't be a distinct There won't be smell. anything like that. And there was. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> Suddenly, it's it's lovely. And, it is. And by the way, if you if you want to if if you need chilled butter for a recipe, but you want to brown the butter first, just brown it, and then chill it, and then use it as directed. Wow, I've never done this before, but I intend to try. <laughs> uh, also, okay, back to Wisconsin butter laws. Uh huh. And thanks to Instagram user Binary Pineapple. For the tip-off on this one, also thanks for making an amazing username. Yes. Um, they, they also mentioned that their mother-in-law has stories about her neighbors crossing state lines to Illinois to buy margarine to smuggle home. It was no joke, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, no. So, so, okay. So there was a law put in place in Wisconsin in 1953 amidst all of that margarine kerfuffle um, that mandates that all butter sold within the state must be evaluated by a state-appointed panel. The panel grades the butter based on 32 quality points, and selling butter that has not been thus graded in Wisconsin can carry a fine of up to 1000 bucks and a jail term of up to six months. Ooh. Back in February, uh, Kerrygold, which is an Irish butter producer, delicious product, mm-hmm. had to stop exporting its butter to Wisconsin because of this law. In March, a local civil advocacy group, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, got involved. They filed suit with the state government to get Kerrygold back on store shelves, claiming that the law was suppressing consumer choice. And then in April, uh, an Amish dairy out of Ohio called Minerva filed a federal lawsuit after being told to either fly in state-appointed graders or to stop selling their product in Wisconsin. Yeah. Amish Ohio dairy called Minerva. Yeah, what's wrong with you? How dare you? <laughs> so, so yeah, so we're 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 living in exciting legal butter times, I suppose, for for Wisconsin. Yeah. And I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Yeah, and this is the culmination of of almost a hundred years of of butter battle. Butter battle. That sounds so excellent. <laughs> Another fun cultural butter fact. Butter sculpture. <laughs> butter, butter sculpture? Yeah. In 1876, Dreaming Iolanthi 
kicked off this strange, uniquely American take on butter sculpture when it made waves at the Centennial Exhibition in Philadelphia. Thousands of people forked over 25 cents to see this butter sculpture preserved with constantly renewed buckets of ice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the New York Times wrote, The harmony of the face is exquisite. The ear is quite a marvel of (laughs) delicate manipulation. (laughs) It was a big deal. And the artist, Caroline Shock Brooks, went on tour after the success and eventually settled down in Washington, D.C., where she did portraits of presidents and other politicians, portraits out of butter. In butter. Yeah. Okay. Her work culminated in a massive portrait of a wealthy family called La Rosa that took eight years. What? Yeah, and was later sculpted more permanently out of marble. But it's still a thing. Uh, With the invention of refrigeration, butter sculpting increased in popularity. (laughs) It saw ups and downs as butter became scarce during things like the Great Depression and World War II. And in 1957, Norma Duffy Lyon started a tradition of sculpting uh, a cow made out of butter each year for the Iowa State Fair until 2006. She also did pop cultural and political figures like Elvis and Obama. She came out of retirement to do Obama in 2008. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's delightful. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, And, of course, if you want to, you can make your own butter at home. You can. Uh, Though it's so much work that we're not entirely sure why you would. Mm -mm. Uh, You don't even need a churn, though. You can just shake a cup of heavy cream in a quart-sized mason jar for, like, 15 minutes um, until the butter forms up, and then rinse it with cold water a couple times and knead it until uh, all the air and water pockets are, are gone. And then it's butter. Yeah. If any of you try it, please let us know. It sounds like a good arm workout. I, mean, I know. I get tired after, like, making a cocktail, a cocktail shaker, 30 seconds in. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think that was enough. <laughs> I think it was enough shaking. That's that's shaking. <laughs> That about uh, brings us to the end of butter, oh, the butter ganza. I, I never thought that I would be sick of reading about butter, but but at this very current moment, I kind of am. It, it was a lot. It was quite a bit of stuff to knead through. There's a pun there somewhere. We didn't make. There were a lot of puns we could have made, and we didn't. So not not nearly enough. It's true. Yes. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode on butter. We hope that you enjoyed it. And we hope that uh, you're finding, if I mean, if you're finding baking projects that use butter and are having a good time, we would love to hear about it. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, we, we always love hearing from y'all. Um, uh, oh, I do have one update, though, to the story that I was talking about, about Wisconsin and their continued low-key ridiculous butter laws. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so there was this uh this this lawsuit I was talking about um uh, brought about by Minerva Dairy um from Ohio. This this buttery creamery uh from Ohio um and uh and it was settled in favor of Wisconsin's butter laws. In February of 2018, the US 7th Circuit Court of Appeals held up those butter laws. Minerva tried sending it all the way to the Supreme Court for review, but the Supreme Court, like, respectfully declined to review the case. They were like, all that's Uh. been said has been said here. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, well, I'm sure there's always more to say about butter and margarine. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty great. Um, It's a it's a serious business. I I say that in jest, but it also legitimately is. It 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 is. I mean, and and these are you know people's uh, livelihoods in the same way or in a similar way to um to all the laws protecting the names of foods from certain regions and stuff. It it you know it's a little bit silly on the surface, right up until you realize that this really is people's lives and livelihoods and 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 pride on the line. So, absolutely, absolutely, um. Well, speaking of livelihoods and prime pride, <laughs> please, uh, if if you're working on any projects with butter or without anything cool, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And our email is hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, It'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.